0: Welcome back to the Pet Cash Partner, host Andrew Pet Cash. Wild enough, this is the 30th episode of my series where I interview founders, investors, athletes, and the smartest people in sports. Today's guest is Casey Schwab, CEO and founding partner of Altius Sports, which is a unique advisory company in college sports led by sports business leaders, providing solutions for NIL and all the other major changes impacting college athletics. Prior to founding Altius Sports Partners, Casey was the Vice President of Business and Legal Affairs at the NFLPA, where he helped lead the NIL program for all NFL players. Cover a handful of fascinating topics today, mostly around NIL and college sports, the main one being the insertion of general managers and chief strategy officers at universities and their associated collectives. I learned a lot from this podcast, I think you will as well. Let's dive in. Casey, appreciate you coming on today. Excited to dive into this one, especially college sports and NIL. So thanks for coming on.
1: For sure. Thanks for having me, Andrew.
0: So I want to start somewhere. You come from the professional sports world. We're seeing some college athletes now staying in college longer. You know, what impact are we seeing? Most people think it goes younger, but what impact are we seeing on the professional sports that's coming now from college athletics and NIL?
1: Yeah, I think there's a direct direct and an indirect impact. In professional sports um, so as you mentioned my background I was at the NFL at the NFL Network out in LA Fox Sports and I managed the um, broadcast relationship with the NFL so on a different side of the table and then I was at the NFL PA so the Players Association on a different side of the table uh, basically on the opposite side of the table from the league so um, understanding pretty well from my background the dynamics of the NFL and then we worked with other players unions obviously at the NFLPA. The NFLPA and the NFL um, are really good at what they do, right? They're really good at what they do. And one of the things that they do really well is they make sure that their assets, in this case happens to be the athletes, are they come in prepared. They, If you look at what you know, the combine just happened, the combine, um, my former boss and and friend and, and, and a mentor of mine, D. Smith, it, has made some comments recently about the combine, and um, and I'll save that for him. But the point is, they do, they do that business really well. And if you look at, like, there's a path to the pros program that already exists at the NFLPA. And they go and they talk to college football players at a, at a, at a high level. The NFL has a bunch of programs, educational programs with in, in college. NIL and the ability for collegiate football players, and I'll, I'll talk about other athletes in a second. But collegiate football players that will be going to the league or, or might go to the league... Um, has has ramped up the importance for every NFL owner, the PA, and all of frankly all the sponsors and licensees and the broadcast partners. Everybody who um, cuts a check around the NFL ecosystem, because if you think about like the system, the the pipeline starts earlier now, right? Oh. Because if, if you look at if you look at a freshman or a sophomore in college on a, on a football program, they can now do deals, and they can do deals and, and, and you know, put aside state, state law and school policies for a second, they can do deals with whomever they want outside of like vice categories. So if you think about just like the trading card category alone, there's a lot of money in that for the NFL ecosystem with Panini and then and Michael Rubin and Fanatics and their card co, and, and there's a lot of money in that industry. And if you look at the trading card business um, in college, since NIL has gone live on July 1st in 2021, um there's been a lot of different trading card companies getting in the space, right? That makes things harder. That makes things harder for the trading card companies, but they then they're calling the league and the PA and going like, "Wait a second. Wait a second. Before we had these guys call sign a thing called the group licensing assignment after they are done with their eligibility, now we got to have them sign when they're like signing their NLI to go play college, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's one the other, the other indirect, and this is for all athletes, um, all college athletes. I think is thinking about like if you think about your career as a collegiate athlete, it's four or five, maybe maybe six years in some cases, right? Um, and you obviously know this very well from your, your personal experience. Um, this is the, the nil opens up the ability to be an entrepreneur. Early to be to be your own CEO is what we say to our the athletes that we're talking to. So it gives you the ability to really kind of control your destiny. You can meet people, you can network, you can you can make money. Hopefully, is the idea. Um, and and that empowerment, I think, is a very good thing. Going all the way back to my experience with the league, there's this dynamic of of in professional sports of management and labor in all professional sports where you have um, management. In labor, uh, in a hopefully healthy push-pull, and one of the pushes or the pull, one of the pulls from the management is we want our players to toe the line. We want them to follow the rules. We want them to uh, drink the Kool-Aid, right? Mm-hmm. And you've seen this, and in in, you know, when I was at the PA, it was when Colin Kaepernick, the, the, the kneeling situation happened, um, and and it's like, and I'll say this unabashedly and unapologetically, like. The, the way that was handled by the league was just flat out wrong, right? Because like, if you think about the civil rights movement in this country, country it's directly tethered to the labor movement, which is directly tethered to athletes having rights. What are some of those rights? Huh. Economic rights, meaning college players being able to monetize their NIL. So as you, so, like, I think it's all tethered. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll say this without sharing too, much, too many details. We met, We went in the fall – last year of 2022 and met with um, so the league executives at the highest level just to talk to them about what's happening in the college space. Um, and there is definitely an eye focused at the highest level of the National Football League on what's happening in college and what's happening for the NIL, for, in the NIL space. And I have to assume it's the same for the NBA, the WNBA, the, women, the uh, NWSL, all of the leagues, the MLB, because this is, a, this is a sea change for college, but it also has lasting impacts.
0: Yeah, you brought up some good points in there, Casey. I'm curious, what excited you to jump from the professional sport lane into the college? What was that opportunity that you saw?
1: The, so the, the origin story for Altius Sports Partners, our company, is um, we, we got on the other side of the collective bargaining agreement back in um, March of 2020, right, when COVID started. It was literally, we were down in Key Biscayne, the players we were at our, our player rep meeting, they voted on the CBA, um, and it was the same time as COVID. I was in my hotel room with my wife, when we were watching um, the president talk about COVID and travel restrictions. And we're like, oh my gosh, should we like go home? Like, is this yeah. Armageddon? Is this apocalypse? And then we went downstairs and I'll, I'll never forget. I was in, a, I was in a, uh, an elevator with a bunch of players going down for the, like, the vote count that morning for the CBA. And like, we were bro-hugging. and I was like, what's up, guys? How are you doing? And, um, and one of our doctors was in the elevator. And I said, hey, say, hey, say, hey, doc, we're not supposed to be doing this, right? He's like, oh, no, it's overblown. It's overblown, and it wasn't overblown. So anyway, the the players voted yes in the CBA, which, and then COVID started. So, you know, work in the office stopped, and then and then a lot of the work stuff for me at the NFLPA, and I was on the commercial side doing the commercial agreement for the for the CBA, but it was still a big component of it, right? And and I looked at college, and I started talking to people in the college space in and around Oliver Luck, Gabe Feldman, um, John Entz, who was at Fox, Jess Mendoza, Ken Shropshire, and just like. Asking the question of how in the world, in a year and change, are college ADs, presidents, coaches, most of all, frankly, how are they going to navigate this space? Because from my past life, the NFL ecosystem, the professional sports ecosystem is set up in a way for rising tide to raise all ships commercially. It's 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 not that way in college. You, and this isn't a knock on any individual. This isn't a knock on the NCAA, frankly. It's just not set up as a system um, to be economically rational, right? Because you have recruiting and you have boosters who give economically they, – they give, they, give, hmm. they give donations which are necessarily in and of themselves economically irrational because they're not doing it for any return, right? So that was the first – my basic premise was this is going to be a mess and this is going to overturn college athletics and, and, and change it. Uh, we talked to about 30 ads. Talked to about 20, 25 Power Five football and basketball coaches, and, and consistently across the board, my bet was that they were all underestimating this this change in what I would call athletes' rights. Starting with NIL, mm-hmm. and now we're seeing we're, we're starting to see the employment rights um, at least being discussed more. But even three years ago, it was like the, the writing was on the wall that this was coming, right? And I knew that from my my work with Ramogi Rum- Huma at the NCPA. When I was at the NFLPA. So to answer your question more succinctly, all those conversations led me to, hey, there's a real opportunity here and an information gap uh, or a knowledge gap or an expertise gap in college sports. And, and honestly, man, um, we started on the premise, our business started on the premise of education and, and it's evolved a lot in, in, in the sense that we've added a lot of things to our business, but yeah, the core give us, of it is still education
0: yeah give us the rundown there and some of the problems you saw that needed fixed just yeah, the, the for background for everyone else
1: was, first and foremost was if the administrators aren't educated on us on that topic like this that is going to trickle down to the coaches and the athletes and that's going to be a problem for ultimately the athletes and, and i had an I, I didn't I had an issue with that right like and I think everybody should have an issue with that because you can't you can't empower you can't say turn the lights on and say hey eighteen to twenty three year olds go out and you know, be, a C, be your own CEO if their leaders, their mentors, their, their coaches, their their administrators aren't educated on the topic. So first and foremost, it was about the athletes. Uh, so we started, and a lot of our work at the beginning, we started with LSU and Texas were our first two partner schools. Um, Tennessee, Georgia, and South Carolina were our next three. So those were the first five, um, counting Texas and the SEC in the future. That's five SEC schools. Not shockingly, they looked at this from not only education, but how, do, how is this going to impact recruiting? So we started our business, and it was really focused on educating the athletes. This is what's coming, financial literacy, intellectual property. But it was also educating the administrators. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, man, the, the, the GCs, the general counsels of these universities, who are very, very experienced in the law and collegiate university law, most of them knew little to nothing about mm-hmm. the commercial landscape of professional sports, which is what was happening here. Social media, um, uh, intellectual property in sports, sponsorship, licensing, group licensing. So it started with, okay, let's educate your athletes. And these schools started signing on. And then as we're talking to the administrators, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, we have a conversation about that with your GC? And it just evolved into the, the administrators. And then the next step was the coaches. So as you know, the uh, 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 this NIL has completely flipped recruiting and become yep. priority number one, especially for football and men's basketball. And when that started happening it became incumbent upon us to say hey we can also educate your coaches so the way i put it is uh there's three layers there's administrators coaches and athletes they all need a resource and where we come in to put it very succinctly is if an if an athletic director or a president or a chancellor said magic wand we have an nil department that's us and then and then and then we can get into the like what did they actually do but that's what we are so we're doing it externally, and then and now we've rolled out an on-campus program where we're doing. We're actually building those departments from the ground up on campuses, boots in the ground.
0: Yeah, and you brought up the collective space there a little bit. How much has that evolved over time? Obviously, you oh, probably man. saw it rise up, and then now, where is it now? Where is it going?
1: Yeah, it's huge. So a, uh, I, a year ago, let's call it a year and a half ago, if an AD asked me, or a head football or head basketball coach asked me, or any coach said, "What's the number one thing we need to have to?" not get behind in recruiting, and to stay ahead of this thing. It would have been have a collective. Get Talk to your boosters, talk to your donors, talk to the people you trust, and, and let's figure out a way to form this in a compliant way, but in a way that supports your athletes. Today, I think it's bringing uh, more control and transparency between the athletic department and the university to these collectives. Um, it, it's it's absolutely vital. Uh, now I will say, like I look at the collective landscape a little bit differently than than other folks. I think it's absolutely vital. It's necessary today. I don't think it's sufficient, meaning I, I think you have to have two streams of water. The first stream is the collectives, donors. There's a lot of money in that. We've, we've all seen the stats. We know what kind of money is in there. And then there's the second stream, which is the more traditional NIL, or whatever, you know, I call it synthetic NIL and non-synthetic, right? Mm-hmm. Like non-synthetic is... The, the, the group licensing, the jerseys, the trading cards, the social medias, the appearances, the things with businesses, the multimedia rights companies. There's those two streams, right? You have to have both because if we land in a world, which I think we will, where athletes are pseudo-employees or employees getting a salary, like that's, that's what's coming next, that those donor dollars will likely be redirected back to pay the salaries. So now what, you're, what are you left with in recruiting? Well, where we started with NIL... Which is okay, uh, QB or women's point guard in the SEC, you can come here and you can make forty grand or seventy-five grand. That's our that's our band for women's point guards or quarterbacks, whatever the number is, right? Right. On top of that, you come here, you're going to make an extra fifty K because we have this robust NIL program, in which you're going to go out and you're going to work with local, regional, and national sponsors. So I do think the collectives are necessary uh, for every single school in the country. I also think it's necessary to be thinking longer term for, well, what's going to come next? If, if, if there's going to be needed, if the, those donor dollars are going to be needed to pay salaries, which I, again, I think they will be, well, who's going to pay those? The donor dollars. And that's going to be redirected through to the athletes. So ultimately, I think it's a, it's a good thing for the athletes either way, but it's just because they're not going to care if they're getting their check to pay for play right. or they're getting their check for NIL. The point is, from an AD standpoint, you've got to be thinking of both.
0: So what happens? Hypothetical scenario. Uh, Patriot League or American East or, you know, a mid-major type, you know, program raises a $10 million collective. What does that look like for for them, for the league?
1: Right now, it, as, as we're not in a world of athletes, and in fact, they're not only not getting paid to play, but it's prohibited, as, I'm, as you obviously know, and everybody knows, um, that puts them way ahead in recruiting, right? Like, I mean, I think it's just plain and simple. The more dollars you have in your collective... You have to have it sustainable, there has to be quid for quo and all this stuff, but like, let's be honest, the more money in a collective that donors drum up and and cut a check in the short term is going to help you recruit, which is going to help you win games. In the future, I I still think that's going to be true because you're going to have all these athletic departments, especially the non-Power 5 athletic departments, where they're going to be saying, wait a second, we got to pay a salary now? We don't have the budget for that. I mean, these budgets are, are thin, so how do we do that? Well, how do they build new facilities? Right. how do they build a new locker right they how do they put up a new new uh, digital board on their and they' in their basketball arena they go to the donors so I think it's right. I think that money still gets redistributed and goes to the athletes
0: but does this shift the gap if you you can go from a lower tier school to a high tier if you raise that or uh, you I can see. actually or can the gap widen if you're not doing that
1: yeah maybe uh, probably I mean uh, look man I think there's always going to be the programs and we, we know who they are. Where the 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 coach is such a monumental, and this is men's sports, women's sports, the the coach is such a big figure that mm-hmm. that nil becomes important, but not as important. So like I I don't I don't know if it's um I don't know, I, let me say this. It is a significant data point, no matter who the coach is, no matter what the program is. The, the the top of the top budget or the low of the low budget, it, it's a significant priority for all of them. So so can they move? Can you move up? Of course. Can can the gap widen? Of course. But I put it into a, a much broader uh, uh, set of data points, like the the success of the program, right? Like the the coaches' uh, reputation and winning record, and all these other things, like facilities. All these other things still matter. I just mm-hmm. think it's just one more data point that that matters a lot. Uh, and then I'll say this too. What I've seen firsthand is that NIL being important for retention and the the portal has been much more problematic with the coaches that are trying to save their jobs. Like those are the problems because you have a coach and, and, and honestly it's hard to blame these coaches. Because if you're a coach and you're and you're looking at losing your job, you're you're highly compensated, you're 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 you know, all the pressure is on you to win. All right, well, I'm about to get fired. I'm going to do what I can to put food on the table for my family. And if one of those things that I can do is go to a donor and then walk over to an agent or a mom or a dad or mm-hmm. kid and say, hey, I'm a, I, I can get you half a million bucks to come to our school. And, and I think that's going to be my, um, my, my life raft to save me as the ship. It, it, make sure, I don't know, not, that's actually a bad analogy. To, that's going to save my ship from sinking? Like, I'm going to do mm-hmm. that, right? So, like, the problems I see in NIL... When it comes to the recruiting and when it comes to the tampering and the, and the portal, it, I, think it's, I, I think it's really the, the coaches that are losing that are on the hot seat more than the coaches that are winning. Like the coaches that are winning, well, they're going to use it and hopefully they're going to use it in a, in, a, uh, in a thoughtful way that still is a data point but isn't the only data point.
0: Now, something cool you guys are doing at Altius, you got some – you might call it something a little different, but like general managers or chief strategy officer – you know, what's the thought process behind that? How's that work? Obviously that's kind of bringing the pro space into the college space.
1: Yeah, yeah, so I'll start at the end with what the vision is. And I mentioned this earlier, the the vision for college athletics, I guess, my vision, whether we're involved or not, which I wanna be, is gonna be that every athletic department, and I I think it's more than just the power five, uh, every athletic department in D1 for sure, and maybe go down uh, to D2 and D3, is going to have to focus on an athlete department, and if it's an athlete innovation, if it's NIL, if it's um, athletes' rights—I I, don't—I don't know what the name of it is—but you know, you have a develop. Every every school has a development officer or officers or of development departments, right? They have ticketing, they have um, social media now. This is actually akin to social media, and you think about like social media. Obviously, didn't exist before the internet, before social media. Well, now you ever—it's just a given, right? I think it's going to be that same way. Every school is gonna have human beings employed full-time focusing on NIL, if and when there's a salary or a pseudo-salary, managing that cap, just like in the in the pros, like you referenced, um, and, and and all the stuff that goes around that. So content, social media, event, experiential marketing, all the things that go into that. If you look at the pro model, an NBA team, but there's the the Lakers. Or the Hornets, or if you look at the NFL, or if you look at NHL teams, they have that, right? They have mm-hmm. they have both of those things. That's going to be, I, I think, at least I bet my career on the fact, that that mm-hmm. is going to be the model in college. Okay, so that's premise one. Premise two is, well, who's the best entity to hire, train, recruit, hire, train, and manage those departments? And if you look at the fundamental nature of college athletics, and and, and it's built in this, um, it's rooted in the public institutions that are necessarily constrained by the same rules that govern the DMV. Everybody complains about the DMV or the highway worker as you're driving down the highway and there's 17 guys and only two of them are working and 15 of them are sitting there leaning on their shovel, right? And I say yep. this, my parents were both public workers. My dad was a pub, worked at UW Platteville. My mom was a public school teacher. But there's, there's an inefficiency to the government, right? So you apply that to college sports. And then you try to throw in this innovation department. You try to throw in NIL. You try to throw in things that are moving so fast. You throw in, we got to get deals done, man. We can't go through procurement for two months. Like, you got to get these athlete deals done. They, sometimes they happen like that. Look at March Madness. You, you, you see these teams, these Cinderella teams, like that is the moment to capitalize on these deals for the athletes, obviously, but also the schools because it's marketing, right? And then the moment passes because we have such a quick, uh, there's such a quick turnaround with social media right now. So I say all that to say, you say, okay, premise one is every school in the, part, in the country needs to focus on this. Question two is, well, who does it? And my premise number two is that you have to have a private entity that can move fast and be innovative and take more risk than, than the DMV can. And that's where we're coming in. So we're placing full-time full time staff on campus, a little bit like the multimedia rights companies do. Business models different, obviously, where you have minimum guarantees versus the school is paying us. Um, but we're placing full-time people on campus, in some places multiple people, to do everything that I just said. And we can move faster. Uh, we're not going to break the rules, but we can take more risks than a school can. Because I can tell you right now, our general counsel is going to be... Uh, more, uh, uh, how about this, less risk averse than a, a public university general counsel, just by the very nature of we're a private company and we're trying to move and we're trying to build. So that's our model on campus. and We can just do a lot more for the coaches, for the administrators, and, and frankly, for the athletes, which is the most important part.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. Now, Casey, something else interesting we're seeing. Indiana University kind of launching their little like sports tech incubator type. Clemson, their branding institute. You know, what else are we going to see? What's the full scope? What else is going to be built out in this NIL space?
1: Yeah, well, no, sorry to cut you off, but I, I think those are awesome. I got excited because both those are schools mm-hmm. we work with and we've worked with for a long time and been involved. Th- those are great projects. Um, the, the one, the school that we don't work with, like think about Stanford, man. And, and we, we just hired mm-hmm. Tommy Gray as our chief strategy officer from Stanford. Um, and, and and like, look, think about the the, the, the brains, the minds at Stanford. And I didn't go there, so I, I went to another school in Southern California that I didn't get into Stanford Law. But, but think about how smart these kids are; these, these these young men and women. I shouldn't call them kids. If you think about what this opens up from an entrepreneurship standpoint, like you mentioned at IU Ventures, um, let's start there before we get to Clemson. It, it's an awesome opportunity to go out and take. You could take. You could use your NIL to 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 um, get equity in companies, right? Just like NFL players do. Like I worked with a lot of players. Part of my job. Was working with the players on their for-profit endeavors, right? Sponsorship um, and licensing was the the core. Excuse me, but it was also investing. Like, hey, hey, like I have several friends still today, like Brandon Copeland, Calvin Beachum, who are uh, very successful investors. Beach just got high, or just got signed another contract. He's still playing for the Cardinals. Copeland just, re- uh, Cope just retired, but like these guys invested using their brains, their 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 skills, but using their NIL, right? Because they were. Right. NFL players, um, and so I, I look at that and I say, okay, it's bigger than just uh, getting a hundred bucks or getting free shoes. Now, I think the free shoes, free tacos, uh, free gear—I think that's awesome. That's all good. I'm I'm all about that. But I think you can go further than that is with, with these athletes. If, if the schools invest like IU or or some of the other schools, you know, bringing in the the entrepreneur entrepreneurial uh, focus, like Oklahoma State. Has the brand squad, which is very cool, and, and, and it's like that sort of stuff. Then you have, speaking of Oklahoma State in Clemson, you have the branding institute. So now you go in and you learn how to brand yourself. And it's deeper than just, hey, I do my hair nice and I shave and I look nice when I'm going on a podcast. Right? It's like, how do you show up, shake hands, look somebody in the eyes, and, and follow up and say thank you. Right? Like it's branding, it's it's bigger than just like branding on social, it's it's branding yourself as a professional. So to answer your question about like how big is it or where is it going, I, I truly think that it's going gonna, it's gonna, um, to accelerate the process for these athletes of being grown-ups and, and being in the adult world. And there's a lot of good that we're talking about. There's some bad that comes with that too, right? Like good with mm-hmm. the bad. But the good is that now you can be a CEO. Now you can go out and use your golden ticket, which is being an athlete at Clemson. Or Oklahoma State or IU, be, being at one of these, and then you can use that to do things off the court or off the field or off the mat or out of the pool, and I think that's that's like that's the opportunity here, and it's bigger and broader than the collective landscape. And again, let me be clear: the collective landscape is necessary for other reasons. It, it's a good thing. It's necessary. I'm glad it's happening. Um, I think most of the collective folks are trying to do things right, and it's a good thing for the athletes. But that's not—it's necessary, but not sufficient for what this thing is going to be.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, first off, point on that. I want to go to this first because i will lead kind of my next one. But how big is the NIL market? Like, if you have to put a number on it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know the answer to it. And if I'm being honest, I, you know, we've done we've done a, as much we've done a lot of work on the back end, both pulling. The data from the collegiate market and trying to do comparative analyses with the pro market. I know the NFL market very well when it comes to off the field endeavors, and I and I I know what the 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 EA deal is. I know what the Fanatics deal is. I know what the one team deal looked like. Right? Like I I sat there with those contracts and they're burned into my brain forever. Um, But I never want to look at a contract again. But but I don't I don't know, man. The 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 truth is the collegiate. Here's what I'll say: the collegiate. Collegiate athlete market, which is bigger than NIL, is a combination of what I mentioned earlier, which is the synth- what, I, what we're calling the synthetic NIL, which is that money is going to be there. I, I think that money is going to be there. It just, it just may transform into uh, some form of donations to the university for salaries or pseudo salaries, right, as employment law continues to pick up in the courts and in, in um, the state and federal legislatures. And then you have the, the more non synthetic NIL, or what we think of as like traditional NIL. I think the second bucket of the traditional NIL is easier to, um, easier to put an analysis on, to put a number on, because it, you can use comparative in, in the right. NFL. So just using um, like the video game, just, just the video game alone, mm-hmm. right? Um, if, if the NFL players collectively make somewhere between 35 and $40 million a year between the two thousand guys you go okay well how many how many copies of the video game would EA sell if if and when they have a game well probably the same or more than Madden right it's like okay cool that gives us a number just to just and it might not be right. uh, defensible if you're doing a dissertation a PhD but it's like a number right it's like 35 40 million bucks somewhere in that range then you go to trading cards and there's three big categories in group licensing you have video games trading cards and apparel that number it's probably like overall, like, I don't know, call it 100 to $120 million bucks for the non-synthetic. But that doesn't count all of the, the individual activations, which could be huge in college. So, I, 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 like, look, I, I don't want to give you a number because I don't have a number. We've tried our, our best. I will say yeah. this. It is, it is not going – I don't think – let me the non-synthetic bucket, the more traditional NIL, is only going to go up for the reasons I said before. The donor dollars, the collective dollars, the the what I'm calling a synthetic nil, that might level itself out a little bit mm. as we get into closer and closer to employment or pseudo employment with salaries.
0: So how close is it to the NFL?
1: I think it's more because you have more uh, you have more stickiness locally. So I li- I live in Evanston, just north of Chicago. Right, Northwestern is here. We we love Northwestern. We work with them. You know, right, literally right down the road. Um, Northwestern men's hoops had a phenomenal season this year. Mm-hmm. Unexpected, great run. I would challenge even even some pretty big um, basketball fans nationally to name the Northwestern basketball team. But I can tell you that locally here in Evanston and in all of the suburbs and in Chicago, they would know their names, right? Partially because if you think about the, the like localized nature of college sports, the athletes are are in large part, from their local area, right? So they have high school classmates. They have cousins. They have uncles. They have aunts. They have neighbors. They have all these people who know them and follow them on social. As opposed to the NFL, and, and, and you know, using, uh, I don't know, using, using Eric Winston, who's a good friend of mine, who played for 10 years. Like, he he's from Texas. He did play for the Texans, but then he went and played for the Chiefs. Then he went and played for the Bengals. And you don't have that like localized, and that's that's true for Tom Brady. It's tr- true for most players, right? So I, I, it, LeBron's another good example, right? Obviously, wild mm-hmm. guy. Okay. So I say that to say the market I think is bigger for the for the activations, for the group licensing stuff. It, it's probably comparable for the for the localized activations. I think it's bigger, and maybe even way bigger.
0: Yeah, that's positive. Then
1: I would rather, like look. If I'm a brand, what better way to reach? 18 to 22-year-olds, which is the hardest demographic to reach, then right. the college athlete who everybody in their lecture uh, – You mm-hmm. know, I went to a big school in Wisconsin. Like, there's 500 kids in a lecture. Everybody didn't know my, my name, but everybody knows um, mm-hmm. Braylon Allen, who's the running back at Wisconsin. They're like, oh, I'm in class with him. Mm-hmm. right? Like, so he wears a T-shirt with your brand on it. That's, that's phenomenal branding. And it's going to reach them more. than And, and that's a silly example because it's just a T-shirt. But with social – It's like there's so much more uh, stickiness and connectivity with that demographic for college athletes than even pro athletes or, like, influencers, right? Just traditional influencers.
0: Yeah, but I actually don't think that was the worst, uh, you know, example because it's true. Like, brands are just kind of slow moving. But something interesting off that, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this, some looking to build a company, some have. Anything, like, any gaps you're seeing that could be interesting areas to build a company in NIL or opportunities in the space – that you see just kind of left open?
1: My first answer is, is one that we've thought about a lot and we, and we may or may not get into this space. So it might be, but I've actually <laughs> thought about a lot is content, like, yeah. like, like whether it's a podcast like this or whether it's, um, uh, 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 like, I don't know if you're familiar with like gridiron grunts back in the day. And then, and, and it was founded by Jeb Terry, who, who's awesome. And Fox bought them. And it's like, you know, players, the NFL players taking videos on their phone on the way to the stadium and things like that, or whether it's more produced content. Um, I think the content space is ripe if, um, in, in NIL, and, and there's some people doing it. Right, there's some people starting to get in that, but that's one area that I think if you look at like what we've seen to date, we, we saw the some of the early mover, the challenger brands, getting in very, very early and, and signing lots and lots of athletes. And then that's kind of died down. And now you see the collective space, which we've talked about a bunch. Just now, in the last couple of months, or in the last since March Madness started, the last couple weeks, we've seen more traditional brands get into the space. But it's very focused on social, which is awesome. But what we're not seeing yet is like the branded content on social, the, brand, the, the, the other content opportunities with podcasts, guests, and things like that. I think that's a big opportunity. In terms of technology... Obviously, there are some phenomenal apps. Um, you, you know, they're, they're, they're the marketplaces. I think those are really good. I do think there's a level of um, a lack of uh, education in the market—not like financial literacy education, but like they're, like the athletes just aren't. They're getting on, but they're but then they're not getting on, and the brands are getting on. Like I do think that'll level out a little bit. I, I think like like that market, the, that the app marketplace market will go up in time. Meaning, like I think today we're kind of like medieval times, you know, with like a mm. hand-to-hand combat with a sword. There's a lot of hand-to-hand combat, mm. and that's where we live. I do think over time, with with some more regulation, um, with some more standardization, and some more, again, content opportunities, there's more tri- traditional like plug-and-play opportunities for athletes, those marketplaces are going to become more more used and more valuable. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is like accurate data that captures the entire market. Um, another thing that we've looked at a lot, candidly <laughs> It's a it's a needed thing in the market. I don't I don't see a clear path to um, early at least revenue. And we're an early stage company, and we've got a bunch of employees, and we're we're trying to you know make sure that we're creating EBITDA margins and all, all the good stuff of a new business. Um, but I do think there's a gap in data overall, right? Because you have you have the technology, the the app, the, the marketplaces, the apps. So, mm-hmm. and they're kind of fragmented, but even if you could capture all that, there's all the deals that are happening outside of it right. and they're not being reported. And and I've talked to a lot of compliance people and some compliance people really want it to be reported and others don't. They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and we know it's in our policy, but so like, I don't think to, to answer your question earlier, uh, you know, when you just talk about how big is the market? I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows accurately or scientifically, right? That you could defend it from your a peer review and peer a dissertation of statisticians, it's like, because we don't have the data. So if somebody out there listening to this can go and get the data and make it like uh, openly available, that would help everybody, right? It would help all the companies in the space. It would help the schools. It would help the coaches. It would help the collectives. And it would help the, uh, the athletes. The, the issue is antitrust when you get for-profit entities trying mm-hmm. to capture the data, Right? It's like we we've run into that and I I know very well antitrust law from my past life. It's like you got if you're gonna start doing for profit stuff around information around the entire market, you better watch out because there's gonna be lawyers. And if there's one thing about the NCAA that we know, there will be lawyers.
0: Yes, there will be. And there data will be is lawyers. The, yeah. There's lawyers and data is the new oil. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We could we could go all day, but uh we can always do a round two later on as things keep playing on. But Casey, give us, appreciate you coming on first off. Give us Thank kind you of, you is, know, this
1: is awesome. I have a lot of respect for for what you do and your show. And this is good. Thank you, man. I,
0: I appreciate it. Give us, uh, you know, anything you want to talk about Altius initiative wise, and then also where we can find more about you and then also Altius.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, look, what we're doing is building these, we're building the service side of NIL, the the hand-to-hand combat side. What we're trying to do is to say, okay, we want to bring the adults to the room in this space, and that's not to be insulting to ADs or compliance people or student-athlete development people, but they just don't have the experience. They literally have never done this before. Um, So what we're trying to do is bring the adults in the room, not in maturity, but in experience to these schools on a service level. Hand, like people doing things with coaches, athletes, and administrators, and collectives and boosters, um, our our main mission is to solve the last mile of NIL, right? So that includes education, like I talked about. But if you think about what the last mile problem is in logistics, then Amazon solved it. Doordash. What, what is what is Doordash actually? Doordash is an app, but it's a driver infrastructure of human beings who I get on and I want tacos, and I click on tacos, and then there's a human being who goes to the taco shop and delivers them to my house, right? It's the non-sexy side, maybe, of NIL, but I think it's the, the gap in the market that we're trying to solve. And and if you think, Amazon's another good example. Um, Amazon put these distribution centers, when Prime Now came out, which has been merged to this Amazon Prime Now, at this moment, um, you can deliver stuff, and get stuff to your house in two hours. They solve the last mile problem, right? So if we can solve the last mile, what we're trying to do is solve the last mile problem for all stakeholders, brands, collectives, donors, apps, and marketplaces, um, and, and, and be that the last mile problem solver for the schools. To find out more about us, um, come to our website, altisportspartners.com. Find me on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, but but look, it's honestly, man, it's not about me. It's really about we're building a staff of people on the ground. So the best way to find out find out about us, hopefully... Is if, if you're at a school or if you're connected to a school and we have a GM there or on-campus personnel, talk to them because they're the ones that what we're trying to do is empower them to have all of the information and build this this, this infrastructure of our DoorDash drivers that can deliver on the last mile of an I.O.
0: I love it. Well, I love what you guys are doing. It's it's huge. It's needed. It's needed.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me. This, this has been good.